0: Second week on our series, looking at the Apostles' Creed, taking a phrase each week from the Apostles' Creed and looking at Scripture so that we're thoughtful about when we confess our faith together on a Sunday morning, why is it that we're saying these things that we're saying? What, what are those foundations that Josh uh, referenced before we confessed together our faith using the Apostles' Creed? What, what, what is it that is the foundation of what we believe? What we believe and and talked last week, we looked at that phrase, I believe, and this week we're looking at God, the father almighty, we'll look at maker of heaven and earth next week, Uh, but this week it's God, the father almighty, and to make it simple, those are the three points, God, father almighty, but this question of do, do you believe in God? And, and you, you may have heard just this, you may have been asked this before, you may have asked somebody, you may have seen surveys about belief in God. The, the Pew Research Center does a lot of surveys and research about religion in our country. And, and they have a whole page about belief in God and uh, the, the demographic changes over time and all of that. And it's pretty fascinating and it, and it falls on a scale, a scale that I'm sure covers people uh, that are here, uh, from I believe with some certainty or I don't believe with certainty, or I believe, but have questions, and like, there's, a, there's a spectrum, right? Uh, this question of what does it mean to believe even? And then, uh, and then there's a, a recognition that we, we believe, but we have doubts. The man in Mark chapter nine says, I believe, help my unbelief, that we ourselves, we struggle a- along those lines, right? Uh, there's also then the question of what does it mean to believe, or what, it, what is God? How do we think about God? it's uh, fascinating that on the Pew Research Center's website they have broken down by religion so there's a there's evangelical protestant mainline protestant historically black protestant and then there's catholic and orthodox judaism islam hindu buddhist like there's a whole spectrum right and and every one of those groups has people on all kinds of spectrums in that which is a little bit fascinating right you're you're, you are part of a religion that's basis is believing in God, but there's a good number of people that don't believe in God. Um, so what does it even mean, right? And that's part of what we're doing going through this series in the Apostles' Creed is what does it mean to confess this particular confession of faith on a regular basis? And specifically, what does it mean to believe in God? Because I, I would argue that uh, that that statement in and of itself doesn't hold a lot of weight. It doesn't really mean a lot because it can mean so many different things. Uh, I, I referenced last week, I read a poem that Stephen Turner, the rock journalist wrote called Creed. Uh, and much of it was facetious. And one of the things that he said was that, you know, all, all religions are the same, you know, except where they differ on issues of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, salvation, you know, the important things, <laughs> Uh, that they're all the same except where they differ on those. So the question is, what do we believe? What do we believe? What are we saying when we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty? And, and I, I think there's one, what, what do we want to be saying ourselves? And then also this recognition that there's so much in our life that shapes us. Our whole worship service is, is intentionally designed to shape us, to, to, to help us, in the ways that we think, in the ways in which we live. And and that's not intended to be a manipulative thing. The the reality is we have things. we're, We're not able to remove ourselves from the things that shape us. We're only able to be intentional about what it is that shapes us. And so the Apostles created something that is shaping us, shaping our belief, and both what it means and how it affects our lives. And so we look here at this idea of... God, the Father Almighty. Let let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would meet us here. I pray that you would shape us. Use the the words of my heart and the meditations of, uh, the the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to to shape us with the truth of who you are and what you mean in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God is the first thing that we're looking at. I believe in God. Uh, I I looked up actually the definition of God in Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Uh, because I know it means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. There is the supreme or ultimate reality, and and the dictionary links that to Christianity and and other religions. There is a being or object that is worshipped as having more than natural attributes and powers. The third is one controlling a particular aspect or part of reality. And then number four is a person or thing of supreme value, a person or thing of supreme value. And and as I I read these different ones, there there are the ideas of of a a God, uh, a person that that creates, that reigns and rules, that that fits within Christianity. But there is also the idea that that we have something that controls our reality, that is of supreme value to us. And, uh, And we might not think about those things as God's. Uh, we might not think about those things as things that we worship, but the reality is that, uh, that it is true that every single one of us has, has gods in our lives, whether we recognize it ex- explicitly or not. And I have used this quote multiple times, and I will continue to because I find it really helpful. It's David Foster Wallace, not a, a, not a Christian, um, was a, a writer. He wrote Infinite Jest. That was his best-known were kind of the, uh, the hipster massive novel. I was like, I'm going to move to Fountain Square, and I, you know, I'm going to learn. It was, it was even more hipster when we moved here 10 years ago, and I'm going to read Infinite Jest, and I didn't make it through. <laughs> it's, it's a long book, but it's celebrated by many. I have read some of the things that David Foster Wallace has written in there. This is one that is uh, pretty insightful. This is what he says. This is a commencement speech that he gave years ago. Uh, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And then he goes on to give this idea that the most compelling thing is to worship a being that is actually outside of us. Because, uh, because if you worship your body and beauty or sexual allure, you, you'll always end up disappointed if you worship money or things then there'll be a trap and uh, you won't find real meaning but he is i think just dead on right on that we all worship something and the question is what is it and we think about it in this terms we all have a god in our lives whether we recognize it or not we all have something that is directing us that is sending us to a particular end something that we're pursuing and sometimes it's something that we give praise or worship to Explicitly. This is one of the things that happens on Sunday morning. We come to worship and praise God. But sometimes it's just something that, uh, that our life is directed toward, that rules our life. And, uh, and we don't even state it explicitly, but it becomes functional. It's, there are other things besides worship on Sunday morning, the word of God, the Apostles' Creed, that, that shapes us and directs us in particular directions. Um, and I've talked before, and I mentioned even last week, our, our belief is, is shaped and formed by something. If it's not, again, uh, the Christian story, then it's, it's something else. And, and we've even seen this just very explicitly stated, actually, uh, about, as we've seen research about social media and the way that it shapes us and pushes us in particular directions. Um, I, I recommend the... The movie, The Social Dilemma, and this is, uh, you know, this is done by guys who are, aren't followers of Jesus, but they have a lot of really good insight. They're part of the Center for Humane Technology, and they talk about the way that social media is designed to shape us in particular ways, even, even our brains, so that we spend more time and money on the apps that we use. And, um, and, and I, I you know, there are all the studies about how it hurts the mental health of kids, uh, and yet, I was like, I've I got to take Instagram off my phone just because it's, I'm wasting so much time on it. So that, that at the very least, it's just distracting me from the things that really matter. Even if it doesn't become the thing that I'm driven toward, it's distracting me from the things that, that really matter, that, that should be those things that, that drive us. And, and, and again, I said this before, we're, we're not able to actually be free from influences. But the question is, what influences are we choosing? And if we're not intentionally choosing them, then it doesn't mean that they don't exist. It doesn't mean that there aren't things shaping what we believe and what our God is, what directs our lives. There are those classic gods of happiness and money and success and reputation and relationships and sexual fulfillment and identity as, as defined Uh, by important things often, but not the most important things, that that would drive us and be our God. And these things for us, even if we come and we believe in our minds that God Almighty, God the Father Almighty, that Jesus Christ, that the Trinitarian God is the one to be worshipped, we still have functional gods, the things that we allow to drive us. And and we need to take time to think about what those might be in our lives. But what we're invited to here, both in the Apostles' Creed and Ephesians chapter 1, is to worship a God who is the supreme authority, who reigns and rules over all things, and invites us into his story to experience what he created us for. He is the one to be blessed, verse 3 This picture of worship. He is the one to be praised, verse 6. He is uh, the one who is working all things, verse 11, that his will was worked out uh, before time even existed and that he is working it out, and we see here, to the benefit of his people, but that he is worthy of worship, that he is the one who is central to all of life, that this God that wants relationship with his people And as we look at all the Old Testament passages that refer to him as Yahweh, uh, that personal name for God, I will be your guide, you will be my people. It's the story of the God working throughout all the scripture who wants relationship again and again, but he is reigning and ruling. And so we need to take time to think, okay, this idea of God, what is my functional God? Is it the one that I confess on Sunday morning? Is it something else? If you're you're here and you're, you're visiting and Maybe you're not even sure what your God is, and and we're glad that you're here, Uh, but the question needs to be explicitly answered in our hearts and in our lives, because if we don't do that, there's something that is still our God, that is reigning and ruling, whether we explicitly state it or not. And the God who the Bible reveals to us is the one who does reign and rule, the one who is that supreme authority, The one who is, we'll get to next week, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, including us. That that God is defined in a very particular way as he has revealed himself in scripture. And the first thing that we see, the statement in the Apostles' Creed is God the Father. God the Father. I'm actually gonna spend, so next week, just to let you know what's coming, next week is maker of heaven and earth. And then the following week, is the Trinity, which we, feel, which we see already referred to here. God the Father, it's in relationship to the Son. Um, I, I will answer all the questions you have about the Trinity in two weeks. Okay, I, I won't do that, but that's what it's going to be, right? Um, it is uh, a beautiful theology and often uh, heady and confusing uh, because God is God and, and we are not. But I do think there is great beauty there. But we see that even referred to, referenced here, as he is the Father. And it's central to who he is. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is referred to as the Father. This is part of who he is. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is by very definition a Father. He is by very definition relational and then we see this idea of predestination, verse five, and we see it again in verse 11. And, um, and it's one that, you know people struggle with. We, we as uh, Presbyterians are reformed in our theology, or Calvinists or however you want to say it. We don't uh, make a big deal of that every week. It's not the foundational thing, but it affects all that we are. But here the reason that we believe predestination is because it's here in Ephesians 1 and other places. But I want to set aside how we think about that for a little bit. The focus of predestination, the beauty of this idea of God predestining us is that it is his work and his grace. Chapter 2 here in Ephesians gets to the fact that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, that we're helpless on our own, that we need him to work. And it is only by his grace, not by anything that we're able to accomplish that we end up in relationship with him. But the question that we want to ask this morning is, okay, predestination, however you define it, and that's a really good and beautiful conversation to have, what is that leading to? What is he doing in his predestination? What is he predestining us to? Verse 5, for adoption to himself as sons. This is the end that he's headed toward, that he's working, this idea that he is working since before time began, he is working this thing. What is it that we would be adopted as sons? And to be clear here, this idea of, of sons is that all of us, sons and daughters, would have access to him as his children. And, and it, it's, it's used here in both the general sense, so like mankind refers to all male and female. It was also a recognition that in the world in which they lived, we're, we're getting to the inheritance, particularly in verses 11 through 14, the inheritance that is offered as his children, that in this culture, the inheritance was only for sons. And yet what is happening here, we see Jesus doing is expanding his promises. We see Paul doing the same, that the opportunity for inheritance is not just for sons, it's for sons and daughters. And this here, this phrase refers to all, followers of Jesus. So this is all have those rights and privileges. And so there is this beautiful work that God is doing to adopt us to himself, to to call us into his family, that we might be his children, and that we might have the blessings therein. He is the father. He is the father. Again, it's, it's the very definition of who he is before creation. So this is where the beauty of the Trinity comes in. He was the Father, loving and being loved in the Trinity before he created us. Love doesn't come into existence when we come into existence. His fatherly nature doesn't come into existence when human beings come into existence. It always existed within him. He is defined as a result when we see in the book of John that God is, that first John, that God is love. God is love. It's because he is in relationship, loving others, and he has invited us into that relationship to love us. Now, you might struggle with the idea of father. Maybe you have, maybe you have a great father, um, and, and you see this, and you think, yes, this is beautiful, this is a great promise. And he's like, my, my father has loved me well, and, and of course you, you see um, mistakes that your father has made, Uh, if If you're a father, you see mistakes that you have made. But this might be a beautiful picture. But maybe for you, you've had a terrible experience with your father. Or maybe you haven't even had an experience with your father. And this is hard to comprehend. But let me encourage you that the very fact that you know that your father has failed occurs because you have knowledge, you have the imagination to understand what a good father should be. That you have that because we were created by the perfect father. And, And we're in this world in which we can understand what a good father should be. And God is described as that perfect father. And just because earthly fathers don't measure up doesn't mean that he doesn't. Doesn't mean that he doesn't step into that perfectly. That is the hope that we 're able to see that our good fathers and our broken fathers, even our terrible fathers, can point us to what the perfect father should be, and that perfect father is calling us into relationship with him, and he 's also saying, "I want you to define your life by me and, and by my love for you." There is an amazing scene in the movie it 's quite well, it's, it's an older movie now, uh, Blood Diamond, Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Jimon Hansu. I'm sure I said that correctly. Um, and uh, it's it's a it's a heartbreaking movie. And it includes uh, even this particular scene about Solomon, who's played by uh, Jimon. He is uh, become he's been kidnapped and turned into a child soldier. It's heartbreaking. And it shows us some of the brokenness uh, of this world. But there's a moment where uh, Solomon, the father, and uh, the character that Leonardo DiCaprio plays. They're in, this, in the wilderness. They're like in a bunch of bushes. It's a small area. And they're finding something that they've been looking for. And uh, the son, Dia, comes out and he's pointing a gun at them. And, and he's experienced these terrible things. Uh, it's a powerful scene. Solomon turns to him and says, Dia, what are you doing? Dia, look at me. Look at me. What are you doing? You are Dia Vindi of the proud Minday tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. She wakes by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister Nyanda and the new baby. The cows wait for you and Babu, the wild dog who minds no one but you. I know they made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. I am your father who loves you, and you will come home with me and be my son again. I am your father who loves you, and you will come home with me again and be my son. He's saying, yes, this, this is a mess. And yet I am your father, and you are going to come home with me because I love you. Your, your life is defined by your relationship with, with me and not by this other incredibly messy, broken stuff. Our Father says to us, I am your Father who loves you. You will come and you will be with me. You will be a part of my family. This is an amazing promise. Now, I, I recognize there are times when we might know this, but we, but we don't feel it or experience it. There, there's times when we feel that uh, separation. I, I think one of the things that, that we hope always and pray that uh, worship does, that, that reading scripture does, that praying does, is that it shapes us to experience this more and more, to, to step into living in this relationship. It shapes us more and more. And we don't physically reside with the Father or with Jesus at this moment. The promise is that we'll come one day, but we're not physically experiencing that. And yet there is the promise of this relationship. Just this week, uh, we dropped uh, our... Two older kids off at school, and uh, and we're now six and a half hours away from them. But that doesn't mean that we're not still their, their parents. Does it mean that we're not still in relationship with them and even caring for them in, in deep ways, even with that distance? Even as it was hard to to, to leave them, even there's, there's um, sadness to not being with them. We, we we like them. We like being with them, um, and uh, and and yet we're in deep. And and beautiful relationship with them. Not perfect all the time. I mean, perfect with with Libby, who's still here, right? um, (laughs) It's always the case. Um, But there is relationship and care that, that defines who we all are in relationship to one another. There's some beautiful, beautiful promises that God is saying, I am your father, come and, and be with me, be my sons and daughters and experience me. This is who God is. It's not just this general idea of a creator God. He is that, but it is so much more. And, and I think that we, we see that idea even greater when we get to this idea of almighty. Now, again, we're gonna talk about maker of heaven and earth next week. And, and we tend to think about his might and him as almighty And the the first thing often that comes to our mind is that idea of creation. Or we we go out into creation ourselves and we see the beauty, particularly if it's a majestic scene. We go to the the Rockies or particularly mountains um, and we see uh, his majesty. I mean, the reality is, I think that we can see his majesty even in the very, very flat uh, parts of Indiana in which we live. and we've loved being here for 10 years. I do wish it wasn't so flat. And yet there's still majesty there. But there's, there's actually really amazing majesty in this room. The pinnacle of his creation. Those created in his image. You guys, looking around and seeing one another. There's this picture of his majesty as maker of heaven and earth, right? Uh, I think that is absolute. We should see that regularly. But what we find here, his might... As it plays out, is it that big creation might? Is it even him powerful in battle, which we see in many places in uh, both the Old Testament and looking forward to uh, the wedding feasts of the Lamb and the things that are going to happen when Jesus returns? What we find here, here is that his might and his majesty and his strength is moved to a particular end. That it, it, it is doing what we have to recognize are, are miracles. The God who is not bound by time. What we find here, again, to go to this idea of him predestining, is that he's working before time was even created. He is not bound by time. This is how mighty he is. And, and, and yet, in the midst of that, he is working his will for a particular end. Adoption. Blessing. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, he's not bound by time. And yet what he did was he chose us to be his sons and daughters To be holy and blameless, that is this picture in verse 4 of being forgiven of our sins, that we might be in relationship with him. His might is working for us, that we would be a part of his family, that we would be forgiven of our brokenness and our rebellion against him, that we'd have spiritual blessings. This is where he is employing his might for you and for me. That's, That's, again, not what typically comes into our minds when we hear almighty, but that's exactly what he's doing. And these are all mighty works. We find that promise as well in verse 10, that he is going to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is a mighty work. We think of that particularly as we recognize the polarized world in which we live that happens in churches even, that happens in politics, that happens in families, uh, that happens in so much of life, sadly. But there is a God who can reconcile things to himself. And the promise is one day that's exactly what's going to happen. And so as he talks about this inheritance, in him we have obtained an inheritance, verse 11. Having predestined, been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is the kind of might that he has. Whatever he wills and decides is what he does. He is not stopped. He is able to accomplish his will. And what does he do? He guarantees for us that we might be the first to hope in Christ, that we might be to the praise of his glory, that we might be saved and have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, that we would be then guaranteed the inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That there is this great inheritance promised to us. That is an almighty work, that he has said he is doing and will do I, I think about uh, we, we love our kids we've dropped them off at school there will be times our, our oldest is getting married next June um, these are all crazy things uh, but life is moving in a direction I'm, you know i am not sure I 'm ready to have kids yet but here we are I'm, uh, I do have uh, kids who are getting married you're going to, want to be empty nesters next year it's insane and uh, and Part of that relationship uh, with our kids, even as they get older, is there is an inheritance that co- is coming to them. We hope. We hope. We, it's not going to be a lot, right? Uh, that's, just, that's just the reality. And yet, because they're a part of our family, because they're our kids. Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, because they're our kids, you know, they, they are entitled to that. And they're entitled to blessings now. We, we, we actually, we love stories of hearing of, like, long lost Relatives that leave this massive inheritance, and I'm not aware of where those links might be for us, but uh, uh, we we like hearing those stories. There was a story, particularly uh, in a bunch of uh, news agencies in 2009, I believe, about um, Petra. No, sorry, their last name was Petra Zolt and Geza, uh, were these brothers that were they had gotten so poor that uh, they and their sister were living in a cave outside Budapest and their sister, they were just so glum that, that she, uh, in just tragic circumstances died. And after that, they, they learned that they were, uh, they had a, a lost grandmother, they kind of realized how that had happened, a, a grandmother whose lawyer had found them after she died and they were left, there were a number of accounts in the different uh, news agencies and the different stories it, it, And the 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 smallest amount was 80 million. So it was like 80 million to, uh, and I don't know if that was a portion of the billion that she left behind or something like that. So it was going to be a lot of money. I mean, 80 million's not as much as a billion, but it's a lot of money. And uh, and they were left this massive amount, and they were again living in a cave outside of Budapest. And and you think about, it's it's actually hard to comprehend the implications of that. Um, and yet, I bet they tried to begin to comprehend it as that lawyer had found them. But you also know that, that this process would take a long time because when there's a lot of money involved, there are a lot of demands, legalities, and people like confirming, is this really them? And uh, other people making claims on the money. It was going to take some time. I would guess that it would take at least a couple of years for them to have gotten that money. But you know that in the meantime, it changed the way that they lived and thought about life. They couldn't just continue in the same way that they had, even if it was just the way that they thought about their life. You, you can imagine that if their sister had known about this before she died, that it would have changed the way that she approached life. That it, To know that this thing is coming would shape the way in which you live. The Almighty working for you and for me, the Almighty, who is our Father, invites us to experience His blessing. And He's a present Father, even now, though not physically present. He's giving us spiritual blessings now. Our our kids, for better and worse, experience us and being in relationship with us now. There are benefits to that even now, along with the negatives. Because we're broken. But this... Reality that we experience those blessings and only blessings from him and the promise that one day those will be ultimately fulfilled shapes the way that we think about who is this God that we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the one who says, I am your father. Come be with me as my child. Experience the blessings. Experience the promises of knowing me and being my child. Let's pray.